I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good afternoon from downtown Cincinnati. Trying to remember the last time that we've been able to do stoppage time like this. Probably when we were in Mexico, right? Yeah. Uh, Maybe. No, that was it. No. Because I I think we may have done one in studio after that. We did one in the studio when we got back, when everything shut down. That was it. I think that was the last day that we were in that studio. I think you're right. Yeah. Usually... Jason's on one side of the camera at his home. I'm on one side of the camera, either in my home or the office. But today, Jason, I took a picture of it. I tweeted it. Jason has converted his hotel room here in Cincinnati to a makeshift studio for stoppage time. So, And you've done a good job. Becoming a little bit of a producer and learning <laughs> things during the pandemic. Let us know in the comments, though, if you can hear us okay. I'm assuming you can because I can hear us okay in my ear. But, uh uh, if everything's coming through loud and clear, just send us a note in the comments and uh, send us questions and comments as well. We're going to be with you for the next hour. Atlanta United playing here in Cincinnati tonight, 8 o'clock kickoff on Sports Radio 92.9. The game, uh, it's a pretty busy night in MLS. Yeah. Uh, there's a total of nine fixtures tonight. U.S. Women's National Team began play in Tokyo. Ooh. This morning it did not go well, so we can talk about that. Um, and obviously the the coaching situation, I'm sure that's going to be <laughs> you foremost know. on everyone's minds right <laughs> you now. Know. So uh, send I, us a question at the bottom of your screen. I did make street. sure I got water just ahead of time, yeah. so I'm covered. I'm my, uh, We're good. I know that's a, that's a narrative these days. <laughs> Maybe a little overblown, but that's a narrative. Abby is uh, complimenting your hotel room. It is very nice. Uh, it's pretty sweet. Uh, Craig and Glenn and Brandon and Scott say we're loud and clear. So that's good. Excellent. That's a good sign. Um, let's start with this, because we've been around the team a lot over the last couple days. Um, really starting on Saturday with the New England game, and then we were all kind of brought back together unexpectedly on Sunday. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we traveled up here with the team on Tuesday, and we've been here now for almost 24 hours. I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but I do know that the the mood is good. It's very upbeat. Um, 
you're seeing the smiles on the faces that you heard Joseph talk about yesterday in his media availability that you heard Rob Valentino talk about in his media availability on Monday. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I think from an emotional standpoint, Atlanta United enters this match tonight in a, a much better place than they were on Saturday going into the New England match. Yeah, I think that's the biggest reason why Sunday went down the way that it did, honestly. I don't think it was about training you know, things on the, on the pitch. I don't think it was about tactics. I don't think it was necessarily about the Joseph situation with Gabriel Heinze. I think a lot of it was the mood. I think a lot of it was the vibe, and I think that things had kind of fallen apart in that regard. I think there was a lot of respect there, and we've heard that from Brooks Lennon. We've heard that from players. Uh, as a coach, Gabriel Heinze is a very intelligent coach. I, I think as a coach on the field, he's very good, and he will have an opportunity to be successful. As a manager, which is a little bit different conversation, I, I think there's things to learn from here. And I hope that it works out for him because I do like his ideas. I like his football ideas. I like how he wants to play soccer. I don't think his team here in Atlanta necessarily got there. And some of that's his fault because ultimately he's the coach. Some of that is circumstances. He had injuries to deal with. He had international things to deal with with players going away on international duty. Complicated situation. But now that things have moved on from that, Rob Valentino, who's very well respected, comes in. He's calling the shots. I want to see what he does to make it his team, even for a short period of time. I think that's really important to make a break where he can to continue to, to continue forward with the good elements of the soccer side, but to change that mood, change that vibe. Is it you know, a little bit different shape? Is it a little bit different substitution pattern? Is it maybe some different personnel? I think all of those different things are on the table because – as you'll learn in the game, you know, different managers, you can have two managers who are both outstanding, who have both won trophies, who are both well-respected, and they can look at the game in very different ways. Rob Valentino comes in, and he's been watching up close, and he will know what buttons to push. And I want to see how many buttons he pushes tonight that are different. Yeah. Um, let me go back to something you started with. I think the one thing that kind of took me a little bit off guard, a little bit by surprise, in some of the things that we've heard publicly over the last 72 hours, and I think even some of the things we've been told privately, but I, I feel okay sharing them, um, I think the players kind of thought that Heinze was going in the right direction as a coach. As a coach, yeah. Uh, to, Absolutely. More in terms of uh, philosophy of play. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of other things that have been reported on that that he clearly did not see eye to eye on yeah. with the players. But, uh, you know, everyone around the club, I think, agrees with the statement you've made. Heinze is a good coach. Yes. Um, and, and in in some ways, he was doing some very, very advanced things. Absolutely. That, you know, if – if the other stuff could have been sorted out, I think it would have been interesting to see yes. how it would have played out. But at the same time, the situation was untenable, and that's why Darren and Carlos made the decision that they made, which we get. And we went yeah. through that a lot on Sunday, yeah. so I, I, I don't think there's much sense in rehashing that. We but, see it with young managers a yeah. lot, where young managers, young coaches in all sports will come in and have really good ideas, because a lot of times they, they come from a former playing background, they've learned things from different people, they definitely know what they want to do. And I think the challenge for a young manager is to find the ability to compromise and where to compromise. 
because the ideas can be great, but if you can't get along with the people around you, it's going to be a struggle. If you can't convince the people around you, this is the way to go. We're going in the right direction. It's going to be a struggle. And, and I think it was that aspect of it. Got to remember, Gabriel Heinze, two and a half years at Vélez Arsfield, one year at Argentinos Juniors. He's a young manager. And as a coach, because they are separate, there's different responsibilities here. You have some managers who are not great coaches, but are great managers. Maybe Alex Ferguson falls into that, especially later in his career, where he had great coaches with him, but he was a great manager. I think Gabriel Heinze right now is a great coach, and I hope he becomes a great manager because his coaching is very good, and I think his ideas are good, but the rest of it has to be better. Yeah, that's in the past, though. I I think the point that I'm trying to make, and I think you would probably agree with this, is that Atlanta United is going to go into the next couple weeks with a pretty good foundation. They just need to get healthy and get players back. That's the big thing. This is For Rob Valentino, I don't think this is going to be a teardown rebuild of soccer philosophy. In fact, I think tonight you're going to see Atlanta United play mostly the same way, Um, positionally, maybe tactically. Uh, as they did under Heinz 8, maybe a little less rigid, uh, especially when it would come to some defending elements, the man marking. I I think, you know, one of the things that you could say about Heinz is maybe he was just a little bit too committed to man marking when that wasn't working quite as well as he had hoped. So maybe Valentino's a little less rigid in that respect. But I also think, look, you got Santi Sosa back tonight. You know that for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Joseph is available. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how much he can give them tonight, having not played in two months. But Joseph yeah. is available. Jurgen Dom could be available tonight. I get the sense I mean, he's listed as questionable, but I get the sense yeah. there's, uh, you know, a pretty decent shot that he could play tonight. So slowly but surely, you're getting some of your injured players back. You're getting a suspended player back tonight. Uh, you're still going to have to wait on Bello and Barco and Guzan and Robinson for a couple more weeks, but it's getting a little bit better. If Atlanta United goes from losing 1-0 to New England to something tonight where they could win uh, and maybe even win decisively, Rob Valentino will probably have something to do with it, but I think yeah. it'll have more to do with personnel and getting some of your personnel back in this game tonight. Some of it will have to do with the foundation that's there. And that's the good thing for Rob Valentino. It makes his job easier because he doesn't have to come in and dramatically change the way the team is playing. You know, we think back to the Hawks and, and Nate McMillan coming in. He did make some changes to the way the team was playing that I think helped. Ball movement was better. It was one thing that was talked about a lot. But a lot of his impact was how he managed the individuals. And I think that's the key here is you've got somebody that everybody knows and respects around the club, and that person is going to get to you know, push a Joseph to be a, an even better player right now, to push these young guys to be better players right now, and maybe take some of the, the heat and the pressure off. And I think that is going to have as much of an impact as anything tactically, as anything formation-wise, as anything – you know, soccer philosophy-wise. I think Rob Valentino being able to motivate the players and, and get them pushing in the right direction as a group will have such a huge impact tonight. I agree. Uh, and again, 
just from an emotional standpoint. And yeah. soccer's an emotional game. Emotion's a big part Might be of- the most emotional game. Go ask Boca Juniors about how they emotionally <laughs> melted down after getting robbed last night in Brazil. There were barricades thrown at people. They spent the night I, in the police station. I heard, but, I mean, that does <laughs> – Unfortunately, that does happen. But, but soccer is an emotional game. I just think Atlanta United is going to be in a better place emotionally coming into tonight. Send us your questions and comments at the bottom of your screen. We can get started on some of it right now. Howard, by the way, is very worried. Howard's think, worried? Well, he's worried because if one of us snores, we might keep the other one up. <laughs> we are in separate rooms. Yes, like the, yes. 99% of the time, we don't have to room together. So don't worry about that. But <laughs> thank you for your concern Howard okay now Lee says Lee disagrees with us he says the foundation is not what it was he thinks the roster has too many holes oh that's two different things the the foundation as a soccer philosophy is good I'm not worried about that and I I disagree a little bit Lee on the roster having a bunch of holes I'd like to know where you feel like the holes are Um, this roster when you go one through about 20 it's pretty good and pretty established Right now, you're not anywhere close to having 1 through 20 available. That's the challenging aspect, and that's what's been challenging these last few weeks. But when you look at a first-choice lineup right now, and I know there's some players that are polarizing to people, and I get that, I understand that. But if everybody is healthy, I think this lineup is very, very good. And this is the thing that surprises me a little bit when we get into this conversation, because... When you look at something like Transfer Marked, which is, is measuring the valuations of players, Atlanta United's one of the top valued rosters in the league. Some of that's down to what's been paid for players, but also some of that is what and what Transfer Marked does is if that player was sold, what would be the reasonable price? So you have talent in this team. And I think Gabriel Heinze didn't get enough time to do everything he wanted to do, and he didn't earn that time. I want to make that clear. But he didn't get time to do everything he wanted to do. And he also didn't get a full roster on a regular basis to do everything he wants to do. That's the breaks. That happens in the game. And you have to make the best of the situation. And I think that's where it was a struggle. But this team is talented. And I do think when you get everybody back, when you get Brad Gazan back, even though Alec Can has been very good, Miles Robinson back is a huge upgrade. And that's not to diminish the center backs that you have, because I think that's a position of depth. But Miles Robinson, in my opinion, should be starting for the U.S. men's national team, A team, best team, next to John Brooks. You get George Bellow back, who's one of the best left backs in the league. You get those players back, and you get, yes, if he is a healthy Ezekiel Barco, you're getting one of the most talented players in the league. Production hasn't always put him in that conversation. Talent, absolutely. Jurgen Dom, talent. Production hasn't been there. Talent, very high. You've got to get everybody hitting on all cylinders. That has been the biggest challenge. And that's not about roster construction. Some of that is down to injuries. Some of that is down to bad luck. And some of that is down to the players not producing. And that has to be understood because roster construction, transfer mark doesn't always get it right, but they usually don't get it wrong by that much when you look at the roster. And let's go a step further from something we were talking about earlier. You're getting a little bit of a benefit right now with that deeper end of the roster that a lot of times doesn't see the field very much. George Campbell's seeing the field right now. George Campbell's looking very, very good. Machope Chole seeing the field right now. Playing well. Still has room to grow. Still has to get a little more decisive in the final third, but very good. Jackson Conway seeing the field right now. Jackson Conway is growing in front of our eyes. Those are three guys who, if you put 
the roster one through 30 in terms of expected impact today, those are three guys who would be pretty low. And they've jumped up a lot here lately because they're getting an opportunity. That's only going to help the strength of the overall roster. Well, we talked about it at lunch. Uh, if everyone were healthy, and not everyone is healthy right now, nope. and it could be argued that the previous head coach may have had a at least something of a role in the team not being as healthy as it could be. Mm -hmm. But if everyone's fully healthy, if you look at the best 11 that Atlanta United could put out there right now, it'd be Guzan, Bello, Robinson, either Walks or Franco. I would say Right now it'd be Walks. And and Lennon across the back. No problem with that back line. Zero problems. Sosa as your six. No problem with the six. Dual eights, probably Heinemann, Moreno. Yeah, Okay. everybody at full strength, yes. Yeah, and then up top, Joseph is your striker, and your wingers would be Barco and – Either Jurgen Dom or Jake Mulraney. I think that might be a, a little bit of a debate on the right. Eric Lopez might be in that group as well. If we're talking talent, I'm going to go Dom. If we're talking impact right now, what we've seen over the last year, it'd be Mulraney. Either way. That would be a position you can upgrade. Yeah. But either way, I'll roll the dice I'll with roll, that I'll 11. I'll roll it with that. With a bench then of Lopez, whoever's out between Mulraney and Dom. Yep. Um, Sadich. Sadich, Conway, Wolf, Campbell. Uh, and then, not to mention, DeJohn, Bauer, Fra- Alan Franco yeah, uh, Alan right Franco now. Yeah, Alan Franco behind um, Alec Cannon, Alec your backup Cam. goalkeeper. Like, that's, that's a good team. You're, you're not you're playing good. with those guys right, right now, and that's the problem. And you haven't played with anything resembling that lineup. You haven't played with anything resembling your first-choice lineup available. Or your first-choice lineup, if everybody's available. You haven't had that since... We're going back to 2019 before Miles Robinson got hurt. Seriously. Like, uh, that, you can say what you want about 2019, 2020, 2021. You're going all the way back there because we go back through last year. Joseph got hurt in Nashville. Miles Robinson was hurt for the Matagua series. Mm -hmm. He was out for that. You go back to then, he was hurt at the end of the season in 19. You're going back to before Miles Robinson went to national team duty in late 2019 to where you're going to have probably, and, and it's probably the more that I think about it, it's probably the week that I felt like was the strongest performance of the Frank DeBoer era. The New York City win at home, the Campiones Cup win at home with a rotated squad, and then going to Portland and, and demolishing the Timbers in their own park. That was where it was full strength, everybody was healthy, and it was incredible. Yeah. Since then, I don't think you've had the full strength group, period. No. And that's a, that's a crazy thing to say. That's not typical. And that's two different managers who have two different very you know, approaches, three different when you include Stephen Glass in the mix, four when you throw Rob Valentino in now. That's a lot of different approaches. That's not one manager wrecking things because he runs hard training sessions. That is just where this team has been, and it's a huge challenge. And they struggle to overcome that, as many teams who have injuries do. Now, John says he thinks the issue is some of the top-valued players – aren't showing their talent consistently. Agree. Jurgen Dom, I agree. And, and some of it is due to injury. Some of it is due to fit. And he is a unique kind of a player. Jurgen Dom, I think, is a player who does need to be at 100% to get the best out of him. Because when he has that change of pace and he can round the corner, as we've seen, honestly, a couple of times, really not that much, he is a deadly player in the final third. Yeah, he's not a traditional crosser. No, he's not going to deliver... 
you know, perfect crosses on a regular basis, but he breaks down defenses with his pace. We haven't seen enough of that. Ezekiel Barco, we've had the conversation many times. I think when he is healthy and he is fit, we've got no problem with what he's given this team. He hasn't been that very often. You need to get there. Those two guys are two that have that. Joseph is recovering from injury for this year as a, really a whole year, but right now he's recovering to get his fitness back. So that's been a challenge. It's not easy. And, and look, you, you can, and I know people will say it like, oh, that's an excuse. It's a fact. You know, when you look at being full strength and being fully healthy, it's been a long time for Atlanta United. Could they have handled it better? Yeah. Could they have gotten some better results along the way? Yeah, I absolutely think so. And they haven't. And that's something that has to change, starting tonight, hopefully. Hopefully. Now, Lee says, Lee is still on this. He, he says, <laughs> all, all right, good. well, if the roster is as capable as we say, then why can't they beat the Red Bulls? One team is the issue. Red Bulls are a difficult team, first off. I don't really judge the whole success of everything based off one team. Possession teams struggle at times against teams that are very good disruptively. And Philadelphia you put into this mix now, too. The Red Bulls, I thought Atlanta outplayed them in the game here at home this year. And I thought it was maybe the best performance Atlanta's had against the Red Bulls outside of the first leg of the Eastern Conference Finals. And they didn't get a goal to show for it. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to against a team like that, in my opinion. you got to get the first goal. you got to get the first goal, and you've got to make them come out and play. If you allow them to be disruptive by you chasing the game, they're going to take advantage of that. That's how they're built. You've got to make them have to play catch-up because that's not how they're built. The Red Bulls, I mean, to me, Lee, like that doesn't define good team, bad team, good roster, bad roster. It defines those individual matchups. And we've watched Tata Martino struggle against the Red Bulls when he won a championship. He lost to the Red Bulls in the regular season at Red Bull Arena late in the year badly, badly. And he changed the approach in the postseason, and it helped to the point that the Red Bulls changed their approach a little bit in the first leg because they were missing some pieces. They were worried about what Atlanta had done because then at that point in 2018, Atlanta wasn't trying to build up the play. So it negated the press. So the Red Bulls tried something different, missed badly, got beat. It's over. Frank DeBoer struggled against the Red Bulls. Gabriel Heinze struggled, you could say, against the Red Bulls in a draw. Um, they're a tough team, and they're a good defensive team. But that doesn't define, like, is this a good roster or not, in my opinion. I, I think that's a tactical matchup more than anything. But everybody struggled against them. Okay, Christopher Gersel asks uh, or says that Darren and Carlos say – they're going to try to bring in a high-quality yes. attacking player in this transfer window. So which position in the attack is the biggest position of need, in our opinion? I'm not rigid, honestly, because you've got some players who can play different places. I want either, and some of this is down to what direction you think you're going to go in a coaching hire. And I think you're going to have to make the player signing before you get the coach finalized, which could be difficult. Um but I think you've got to make a decision on are you going to be more of a double pivot team? And I think without Heinemann, you need to be. I think you're going to need to play Sosa and Ibadra or Sosa and Sadich. I think that is a, a good duo. And both, well, really all three of those players can get forward when they need to. They can become an eight. So do you want a number 10 and play Moreno wide? Or do you want a winger to replace Jurgen Dom, Jake Mulraney? 
I think that's what the decision comes down to. And it's good that you're not narrowly locked into one position. Mm -hmm. That's the, the challenge that you can get to sometimes is when you're narrowly locked in, it can be a problem. You've got to be in a position where you've got multiple options, and I think they do. Looks like we may have frozen a little bit, but I know that um, I know that we're recording for Knox, so I'm not going to uh, you know completely stop talking or anything like that. And uh, uh, for those of you who are trying to get us on uh, on Facebook, it's trying to come back. back now. Yeah, we've got a little bit of a connection issue. Yeah, welcome to hotel Wi-Fi. Yeah, we're we're on the uh, the non-elite Wi-Fi. I guess. Man, it uh, had been so good today too. <laughs> Fortunately, it'll be better at the stadium. But uh, yeah. if if we freeze and you miss anything, uh, the audio is going to be posted at Off yeah. the Woodwork, uh, the the podcast. And don't go anywhere because everything's staying connected, so it'll come yeah. back like it just did. Right, exactly. A lot of people are concerned about our access to water. Uh, I should probably take a drink like, just we're, to be we're, sure. We're, you know, we laugh. Uh, it's not a laughing matter. Uh, what was written about the Doug McIntyre story, it's not a laughing matter. I, I think... The club's trying to be a little bit good-natured about it. You saw Anton Walks and the, the water bottle thing yeah. the other day. Uh, it's not a laughing matter. I'm not making light of any of that. It's a little overplayed, first off. It, it's a little bit overdone. because, And this is some of that cultural fit that we've talked about. I've heard of coaches doing that in all sports. I mean, I, I've heard that happening. How much, what was the degree of it? Um, I believe there, there's an article out of Argentina where they say it was about simulating water breaks in games or simulating the ability to drink water in a game, which isn't constant. So if it's something like that, then it's a very different conversation. I don't think that is the issue here. I don't think that was the issue here. I don't think that's what forced it. I think it is much more of the cultural fit that didn't happen. Well, and that's... That's one of the symptoms of the lack of cultural fit, I guess. I it mean, can be. You, you know, you're talking about professional athletes in North America who are accustomed to getting water breaks when needed, and right. that can be disruptive. Yeah, absolutely. When you deny that, but that's just that's one of the things. I, exactly. I, I think that's that's getting a little bit. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't want to say overblown. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. But, yeah, yeah. But I, I think that's not the singular reason why the decision was made on Sunday. Well, it was... I'll tell you what I, why I think it's overblown. is I don't think it happened every training session. I don't think it was about an extended period of time where they trained that way. I think it was probably a very short conversation of, we want to do it this way. Well, no, you need to do it this way because of sports science, because of the right. medical department, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Boom. Well, and, and I also saw some conversation that um, – it, it it should have been addressed by the club, and it was negligent that they didn't. The assumption is that it wasn't, which is an assumption. <laughs> which is because a it's bad my assumption. It, well, it's my it's my understanding, and I could be wrong, yeah. that this was something that happened during training camp, yes. and then it was stopped. Yes, so it doesn't make it right. Like again, I'm not uh, well, I, I'm it, not, but we need to know what it was, and, I, right. and we don't. We're not going to find out, and that's it. I mean, like. If you're simulating a game where players can't just walk away and drink water, if you're simulating a game type of scenario, I understand it. Do you need to do it like in preseason? Maybe, maybe not. I think maybe it's just a little bit of, of, of a control thing. But if it's, sim if it's simulating game situations about how often you can drink water, that's not outlandish. Maybe it's not necessary, but it's not outlandish. I think 
the bigger issue in play was lack of time off. Yes, that, that's that, the bigger issue. That, that the, the water thing, it was an issue, yes, and it was it dealt was. with. Right. But, you know, it, it's in the collective bargaining agreement that you get a certain number of days right. off over a certain span of Tata time. Tata Martino knows that one, too. But, well, exactly. And, and that's also true. And that's been pointed out, I think, pretty adequately over the yeah. last couple of days that this wasn't just Heinze. Eh? This was something that happened with Tata as well. Yeah. And I know Tata probably banged his head against the wall sometimes yeah. because, you know, th- this is not necessarily common in other parts of the world. I don't know where, if there is another part of the world right, where, where you have a collective have... bargaining agreement like <laughs> right. that that sets out, you know, requirement, not expectations, requirements right. for time off. Right. And and other things that are in the best interest of the player. Right. But, look, and it's going to be talked about for a while, it I'm sure. And to. it's okay because it is a big deal. And I do think the players were, at at the very least, very, very under stress because yeah. of, of what they were dealing with. I think that's with. a fair way to put it. But I also think, and, and I would just say, listen carefully to what the players have said publicly. They don't want to dwell on this anymore. Yep. They they understand that that in fact even Joseph kind of said it yesterday. And Joseph obviously had a very public yeah. disagreement with Gabby to the point where Joseph wasn't training with the first right. team. Listen to Joseph. It, it, you don't have to listen to Jason and I. Listen to Joseph. They want to move on. They want to move past this. There there's no sense in dwelling on what brought Atlanta United to the point where they had to part ways, not part ways, uh, relieve Gabby Heinze of his duties. But it's time to move on. And I think, you know, the first step, obviously, to moving on is going to be tonight. Another big step is going to be finding a new manager. I know some of you are commenting down in the comments about, you know, potential candidates. We'll get Mm -hmm. to that in a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, And part of it's going to be, and look, Carlos has got to nail it. There's no doubt. Uh, they got to find a player in this window, yep. uh, a starting caliber player in this window. And Car- look, I'll I'll say it: Carlos has to nail it. He's got to get this one right. It's very very high pressure. You still have a little less than two thirds of the season remaining, so there is still plenty of time. You're not out of the playoff mix by any stretch, not even close. But you got to get this one right, yep. uh, or else then you are going to run the risk of tumbling a little too far out of out of things and and that's not what you want um glenn says it will help to have a coach who is a good coach with good ideas and also understands that players are people too with lives outside the game someone who cares about that aspect too which is a hundred percent right and it's led some people to suggest that maybe atlanta united needs to look at managerial candidates who have experience either in MLS mm. or elsewhere in North America mm-hmm. who understand um, the the 360-degree part of being a human being and an athlete, not just being an athlete. Well, it's, it's different in other parts of the world, and I think that has to be understood, too. It's not a right-wrong thing in, in this regard, Glenn, for me, because – in Argentina, 
in Brazil and in England and France and Germany. And Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Spain and, and lots of countries around the world, when you are a professional player, you don't have much of a life outside of that. Because it is everything, and it is all-consuming, and here it is a little different. It's a little different in all of our sports, but it's a little different, especially in the soccer world, from the rest of the world. And you're going to have a large number of American players who have grown up in this system. It's just the way the the league's roster rules work. It's the way you build a team in a country. You're going to have domestic players. And the domestic players are going to be very different than a manager who doesn't have that experience would understand. And I'm sure we've seen that over the years here, and we haven't heard all the details about it, but I'm sure that was something Tata had to get used to, something Frank had to get used to. Any manager who comes into the league has to understand it. The The homegrown players coming up live very different lives than players their age in other countries. So there's a lot to grasp. It would be helpful to have somebody with experience. And I think this hire is so different because it's not going into a preseason scenario where you can learn and grow along the way. You're walking in the door. You're going to have a game a couple days later after your introductory press conference, and you're going to need to get three points because the playoffs are a must this year. And if they're not, then that's going to be a problem because, you know, as, as Darren and Carlos both said, this is a move they've got to get right on the on the managerial hire. It's going to be a move they've got to get right on the player side, too. So what gives you the best success to get this move right? Because you're not going to be judged by two years here. You're not going to be judged by a preseason and a full calendar. You're going to be judged by when that manager takes over. It might be 15 games. It might be 17 games. And they're going to have to be really good in those games and not just wait till next year. Bruno uh, wanted to know if we felt the hire would be made by the all-star break, which I think is three and a half weeks away or so. I think um, so. That feels really soon. 
I do know they're working on it. I yeah. mean, they're working on it as we speak. They wasted no time. Uh, they're not slow playing it by any stretch. Nope. But three weeks might be a little bit of great. I mean, I'm sure they would like to if they can find the exact right person. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It feels like they need to have a little bit more of a thorough, comprehensive search. than that. Because if you're going to hire someone and have them on the job in three weeks, that means you, you've got a candidate pretty much right now. And I, it feels to me like it might require a little bit more time just to make sure you've fully vetted everything and, and that you know, you're know you 100% comfortable with who you're going with. I think three, three and a half weeks is doable. Uh, I think it's tough. I think you probably need to zero in on who it's going to be by the end of this week to make that kind of a timeline work. And you might have to cross your fingers very, very hard on visa situations and that kind of stuff to make it where they're here in three and a half weeks to be that quick. But I think you'd probably have to settle on your, your number one candidate and get at least the framework of a deal by the end of this week, early next week, maybe, to make that kind of a timeline work. It's possible. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen in, in clubs all over the world. We've also seen some clubs take more time. I just don't think you have a lot of time here. The vetting process is, is very important. And you're going to have to rely on, on people here to help you with that because of the time crunch. But you've got to get the right hire done rapidly. And and three and a half weeks, if it's further than that, if it's longer than that, it's going to be even more challenging. The longer it goes, the more challenging it is for that manager to come in and have a positive impact. I think we also need to remember, though, that in years past, we'd be talking on July 21st, and the, the season would be halfway, maybe even a little more than halfway over. It's not that way this year because you have such a heavily backloaded schedule, and the league did it that way to give themselves time to navigate COVID in the early months of the season yeah. with the expectation that everything would be okay at the end of the season. Now it actually looks like it might be reversed, but um, that's another story. But anyhow, there, there's a lot of matches in September and October going into the first week of November when you have decision dates. So there is still a lot of time. Now, a lot of people in the comments, I think Tom Russo brought up his name, I've seen a few others, have brought up Domi Tarrant's name. And that is someone that we talked about on Sunday when we did stoppage time. Uh, Domi Tarrant is currently... um, Out of work. I I didn't want to say out of work. That has a negative connotation. But it's true. Not currently working. He is not currently working, yeah. but someone obviously who has familiarity with the league. Yes. Had a really good season two years ago with New York City. Best season I've ever had. And um, he's available. And he was formerly Pep Guardiola's right-hand man. And he would walk in and know exactly what Atlanta United has been working on. He would know exactly where Gabriel Heinze was trying to take the team over a long-term period. He would be able to fit right in but also make adjustments that make sense. You know, it, like if you hired somebody who is a counterattacking manager, that would be a tough transition because you'd have to really overhaul tactics fast on the fly. Almost impossible. Not impossible, but very difficult. Dolme Tarrant would walk in and understand exactly what Gabriel Heinze was doing and be able to make the adjustments that are needed that he sees mm-hmm. fit. So he'd be a good fit, and he knows the league, and he would know exactly the the good things and the bad things about MLS. He would know the challenges of it, and he'd be fine. Um, he is a little bit of a prickly character at times, um, doesn't suffer fools, 
Uh, but he'll do the media. And, and I think that's one of the biggest differences is he'll do those things. And, and you saw a lot of content digitally from New York City during his time. He wasn't that controlling in those aspects. And I think that's another one of the issues that we've seen here play out. He wouldn't be that. Would he maybe have arguments with people in the media? Yeah, he might. But that's different than being inaccessible. That's a completely different situation. Absolutely different. I think, you know, what always made me kind of laugh about Dome when he first came in was when he got to do the halftime interviews, he'd always go long because I think he enjoyed it. I think he enjoyed having the, the conversation and getting to explain himself. And he wasn't used to that being Guardiola's assistant. He didn't do those things. So we'll see now after I thought a good run in New York, he got frustrated with City Football Group. Took him forever. Took them forever to get him a striker. He was extremely frustrated with it. He left. It was kind of weird the way he left, but I think it was due to frustration with his bosses. Went to Brazil and didn't do all that badly, but Brazil, the turnover in coaches was so bad they had to change the rules to not allow you to have so much turnover in coaches. He got caught up in that. He was pushed out the door. Really, the next guy came in, didn't do anything different. I mean, it's just cycle, cycle, cycle in Brazil. So I don't even hold that against him. And now we see what happens. If Dome Toronto's the guy, it'd be a really interesting name. I like his coaching ideas, and I think he'd fit really well. Uh, Mike Petke's name has come up in a few places. I, I just uh, – well, in the comments, by the yeah. way, not officially. That feels like a little bit of a hot potato. It'd be a tough one in the situation. I like Petke as a coach. I like Petke as an individual, and when he's done some punditry, I like it. I like the way he sees the game. He's a passionate guy. Um, he had some really big issues at RSL where he made some really big mistakes, and that's going to be a lot for him to overcome. I don't think this is a job for him to overcome them. might be a challenge. might be too big of a challenge. Especially, um, again, when cultural fit has become a mm-hmm. big sticking point all of a sudden with the manager because that's why – Heinze is not the manager anymore mm-hmm. for Atlanta United. Okay, uh, Jacob Bavara. Why can't we just go out and get a natural goal scorer to compliment Joseph? He can't do it alone. We can only go up from here, Jacob says. You can. Um, because and that's the other thing about the way things could look going forward is when we talked about Gabriel Heinze and the break out the, the digital board and, and kind of show how he wanted things to look, you can push that to the side because it was a little extreme in how rigid some of those aspects were. The wingers very, very wide. The the five channels going forward. So now, I mean, you could reimagine it and play in the same philosophy, but play a three-five-two. You could play a four-four-two. You could play a four-two-three-one with tucked-in wide forwards. Like you can really do some different things. So. The door is open to how you want to go use this, which we think could be a designated player signing because Alan Franco can be bought down. That was by design. We think it'll be a big signing. That opens to, do you want a second forward? Do you want to play two up top? That opens, do you want a a wider player, but he comes inside a lot and can score goals? Do you want somebody like a Carlos Heel who's a little bit more of a playmaker as opposed to that goal scorer? You think you can get the goals from other people? There's a lot of different ways to play it. I don't think you'll look for somebody like Joseph. I think you're looking for somebody who can take some of the scoring load off or unlock others to do that. And you could go either way, depending on who is available in the market. Uh, John Roper, by the way, on the coach search, brings up Steve Tarundolo's name. 
Yeah, Chirundolo's getting his first head coaching experience right now in USL Championship. And it might be a job that he would be well-suited for down the line. Um, you could roll the dice. He just has very little experience. And, and that's, that's a little bit... It's not a sticking point for me, but it's something that I feel like they need because of the situation. If you were going to give him a full preseason to take over and come in like Josh Wolf got in his first head coaching job, okay. Chirondolo's got, you know, about six months of experience as a head coach. And that's a big ask for him to come in midstream, not just come in and, and right the ship, but come in and win. That's tough. I, I think you might need to go in the direction of somebody who's been there and done that. Um, okay. A uh, couple other people asking about tonight's match. We're going to get to that in a minute. We're not ignoring – I mean, we're here in Cincinnati for a reason. We are going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. um, CK wanted us, though, to shift gears and talk about the women's national team this morning. If, if you still don't know by now, uh, the U.S. women's national team lost their first group stage match at the Olympics today 3-0 in a match that – uh, I've seen some accounts, some even American-based writers saying Sweden completely dominated the match. Uh, Sweden did score twice on set pieces. But I think it, it's relatively fair to say that Sweden dominated the match. Tough day for Abby Dahlkemper. Mm-hmm. Tough day for Crystal Dunn. Tough day for everyone, really. Um, the U.S. women's national team is going to get out of the group stage and go to the knockout round. I don't think there's much doubt about it. This was right. their hardest group stage match, but... Uh, that's a shocking scoreline to see the U.S. women who have been steamrolling um, the opponents they played in the the lead-up to the Olympics uh, lose 3-0 this morning. Very surprising. Yeah. Uh, I think the most shocking element of it for me, beyond the fact that Sweden was a huge underdog, is that Sweden had more of the possession, 51% to 49 That That shouldn't happen with the U.S., uh, this was Vlatko Andonovsky's first real competitive game in charge. Um, he is working towards changing the way that the team plays. And I think he is also managing this as a full tournament, not game by game. So, for example, Megan Rapino came off the bench. Julie Ertz came off the bench. Julie Ertz has been a little banged up lately. Um, that Those are two players that I think are very important for this group going forward. Carly Lloyd came off the bench as well. I don't know if he has settled exactly on his first choice 11. And he's going to have to now manage the personalities a bit, which isn't easy with this group. Um, This is a group that's accustomed to winning. I don't remember the last time they lost 3-0. It's been a long time since they've lost like that. Uh, To the point that Rapino was kind of laughing after the game when when she did media, which kind of shocked me, honestly. But I don't think they know how to react to something like this. Yeah. So he's got a lot of work to do between now and Saturday, and it's a quick turn. Then it's Tuesday. They've got Australia. They've got New Zealand. They'll get the results to go through, even if it is a third-place finish. But now you're, you're playing for positioning because you want to go into that bracket and give yourself the best opportunity. You're also playing to be at your best when you get to that point. So you've got to walk point. that line between the two. You're, you're, you're going to go through, and you've got to be hitting all cylinders by the time you get into the quarterfinal. That's a, re- that's a really, really good point. We saw what happened last time. Sweden beat them in the quarterfinal last time. Really, they never got to that next gear. Really good point. Really good point. All right, let's talk about the match tonight okay. uh, here in Cincinnati. And I, I'm looking for – we had a comment much earlier. Uh, uh, Craig Green says, I believe we will see an inspired Atlanta side tonight on national TV. Mm-hmm. 
bring at worst a draw home. After everything that's happened the past few days, getting to match day and playing has to be one of the easiest things they will do. I will agree with that completely. I, I think they get a result tonight. I think they get a win tonight. And I, I think they do that by not abandoning the way that they've been building as a soccer team this season, but maybe tweaking some things. Um, partially due to who's available. And we've talked about the midfield a lot. You're missing a lot of pieces in there. I, I think it will be a midfield trio of Santi Sosa, of Marsadich, Marcelino Moreno, somewhat by necessity. But what that does is it gives you a natural double pivot because Sadich is more comfortable playing deep, as we saw in the, his first match with Atlanta. We know Sosa is more comfortable playing deep. We also know that both of them can get forward. But when you're in the double pivot, one can go, one can sit. And it doesn't always have to be the same one going. And I think those two building and understanding, that's one thing I'm looking forward to if if they're paired up together or that's the trio, Sosa and Sadich, how quick can they build a, a little society on the field? How quick can they come to an understanding? And Moreno as well, because, look, Moreno can drop. And if the, the play lends itself, and, and this is how Atlanta United has developed, where it's very interchangeable, if the play works out to where Sosa and Sadich both go forward, Moreno will drop. Mm-hmm. He'll put in that shift, and he'll drop, and he'll cover for them, and it flips. If that midfield trio can be interchangeable to a degree, it could be fascinating to watch. Daniel says he wants to see the the guys play with more freedom tonight. I actually think they have been playing rather free at times this year. Maybe it's more of an emotional freedom that Daniel's talking about. I'm not positive. There's that, too, and I do think they will not be as tied to – Staying super wide all the time. Sometimes they might be allowed to come find the game a little bit. Things like that that, look, when you're building a a style of play, you've got to put some pretty rigid rules in early on to establish it. Mm -hmm. Then you can loosen up. 13 games is a short period of time. It's not really where you get there. So I think that was coming. But now, because things are going to change, I think it could be a little looser. Like, you know, you might see more overloads on one side as opposed to stretching the field wide. You could see, you know, two or three people on the right side. You could see if, if Jake Moraney's on the left, for example, come across and, and play with Brooks Lennon and, and, and with Jurgen Dom if he's playing and look to combine. You, you might see some stuff like that where the interchangeable factor is still high but it might not be in the same structure that we saw at times when you just get into X's and O's and where they are on the field. Getting a couple lineup questions like Chol or, or Lopez. Is Jurgen Dom going to be in tonight? Does Mikey Ambrose get a start? Does Kubo uh, get a start tonight? I'm seeing a lot of those questions. Why don't we go through it? Yeah. Uh, I obviously can. Uh, yeah. Your center backs would be Walks and Franco, assuming you're playing four in the back, which I think they will. Yeah, um, Cincinnati generally – well, Cincinnati can go two up top, and, and, and that's a question for, for Rob Valentino is do you keep what's been working? But you have Sosa who could potentially do. move into the back, and you could you could be a little more flexible, you I do. guess, if that happens. You could be, do that, and I think George Campbell's in that mix. George right. Campbell's been very good. Does he get that start over an Alan Franco potentially? I, I thought Franco was really good. I've yeah. been very happy with Alan Franco's development coming from a very defensive team in Independiente and his, his last time there under uh, Falcioni, who's a very defensive manager who didn't really want a center backs building up the play to being here and asked to build up the play. I like when he carries the ball forward. 
I like his aggressiveness. I think him paired with Walks is a pretty good duo. Mm-hmm. Campbell gives you that as well, and I think Campbell maybe is is a little bit faster than Alan Franco, maybe a little more comfortable going forward. I think George Campbell, we saw that in the last match. I mean, he's fine dribbling forward out of the back. He has no problem with that. So it's a little bit about the chemistry you want, which duo you want, or do you want to play all three against the team that could play a 5-3-2? Yeah, that's a great point. I'm assuming it would be a 4-3-3, but if it is a 3-5-2, then I think Campbell is in. Yeah. Um, But under the assumption it's a 4-3-3, I would go with Franco and Walks as the center backs. Lennon on the right. You know, the left wing back then becomes interesting because you still don't have George. You know, it's a little bit different when you're three in the back as opposed to four in the Very back. Very different. Um, does Mikey Ambrose get into the mix tonight? I, I could absolutely see that. Does a Ronald Hernandez get mm-hmm. into the mix tonight? I could absolutely see that too. Yeah. Um, that would be, I think, one of the bigger questions for Atlanta United. Then Sosa, uh, if you want to play a double pivot with Sadich, I, I think that would make a lot of sense. Uh, with Moreno in the midfield, and then you would have, I think, Joseph, I think, but I wouldn't be shocked if he did not start. Right. Hasn't played in two months. Wouldn't be shocked if he did not start. Um, but Joseph would then, I'm guessing Mulraney, for the same reason that it, with Joseph, I'm just not sure if Dom is someone that you're ready to start yeah. yet because he hasn't played in a while. So I'll, I'll assume Mulraney and uh, – I guess Machu. That that'll be my guess for the lineup tonight. Yeah, Tom Russo says, assuming Joseph's not ninety minutes fit, do you do you start and sub him or have him come off the bench later? Great question. It depends on how much he's got. If he can, you've got five subs right now, which does change kind of my old school way of thinking about it. My my line with players when when I coached and when I've looked at it is, if you can go sixty, I can start you. If you can't go sixty, I'm not going to start you. With five subs, I think that comes back to 45. And and a player like Joseph, if he can go 45, I'll probably start him. But the other thing you have to keep in mind, too, as you know, is you play again on Saturday. Well, yeah. And I think Rob Valentino has to manage this as a 180-minute game, not a 90-minute game. So that's a big part of it as well. A little bit. I mean, I I don't know how much of the luxury he has to do that, to be honest, because this is a winnable game on the road. There's not a ton of those. No, that's true. If if you've got a chance to go win it, you do. Now, if for whatever reason, if you're winning big or if you're losing big and you start thinking about Saturday, then subs could reflect that. But I, I think you have to look at winning this game. Um, lineup for me, I mean, it comes down to is it 4-3-3 or 3-4-3. If it's 3-4-3, I'll go the other way from the way you took it, then I could see Franco, Walks, and Campbell – I could see Mulraney as a wing back. I don't think he can play as an outside back in a four-man lineup, but in a three-center back lineup where it can turn into five when it needs to, Mulraney as a wing back we've seen. Lennon can play a wing back. Hernandez can play a wing back. Ambrose can play a wing back. But if it's Mulraney and Lennon, it makes a lot of sense. Two central midfielders, Sosa and Sadich, and, and the way I'm going with it, if you want to play Sosa as a center back hybrid who can step out and make it a 4-3-3, you could go Sadich and Moreno in those spots and make it work. Um, the the wing backs would be the four and a three four three, and then up front, Moreno could be up there if you wanted to go with the three center backs, or you could go, man, you could go a lot of different directions. You could go Chol, and you could go with who am I missing? Um, Lopez. You could go Chol and Dom. Um, Conway could start, Kubo could start, Joseph could start. I, I'm 
I'm a little skeptical of Joseph starting, especially after what we heard from him yesterday. With the uh, cardiac? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you might want to be a little more too. careful. And that's okay. Um, I'd love to see him for at least 30 minutes. Yeah. If you, can, if you can get 30 out of him, that's pretty good, and then maybe you get more on Saturday. And I think it's really important to point out, too, because some people have jumped to conclusions on the cardiac thing. Right. Um, Joseph's medically clear and has been medically clear. Yes. So I think Joseph was pretty transparent yesterday when he said when he came out of quarantine and had his initial cardiac screen, something came up. Doctor told him he needed to be careful. Mm-hmm. And now, and Joseph said a couple times, the issue has been resolved. Right. So, if Joseph's not starting tonight, I wouldn't. I, I don't. I, w- I wouldn't say that uh, something's wrong. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't played in two months. Yes. He hasn't, and you can do all the training off to the side in the world. It's not going to duplicate no. or replicate. Um, you know, being able to play for 90 minutes in a competitive right. match. Right. So I think that is one of the bigger questions as well. Now, CK wanted to know, how would we feel about a potential um, Atlanta United lineup where you can have both Joseph and Jackson Conway as dual strikers? I mean, there's an obsession with playing two up top that I, I don't know if I really truly understand around here. Um, but it does come up a lot. And just I- to be clear... It has not happened this year. No, no, it hasn't. I, I want to say there was one point after subs late in a game where there were two dedicated strikers if, if, on the field If you're together. chasing a result. It yes. might have even been down in Miami, if I remember correctly. It might have been, and it might have that time. ended up playing a little bit more like a 3-3-4 because of that, because you still had the width. Um, now, you could do it. Again, as we've said, Rob Valentino will be able to push buttons here that are different than what Gabriel Heinze was pushing. He could say, I want to play a 3-5-2 and play two up top that are very similar. I'm, I don't think you do it yet because I don't know if Joseph is ready to start yet and give you a lot of minutes. I think you're probably going to bring his minutes from a smaller number up to a bigger number over a pretty short period of time. So I don't know if you go there now. Could you? Yeah, potentially. But then when you start going back through the numbers and you start figuring out the lineup, Let's say what we think would be available before the international guys come back to play that shape. So we'll work front to back then. If you want to go Joseph and Conway up front, you've got to play a number 10 behind them to make it work. Probably going to be Moreno right now. You could go with two central midfielders behind that. It'd be easy to go Sosa and Sadich there. Sosa and Ibarra. You can rotate a little bit depending on availability. You're, you're comfortable there wing backs there because you want a 3-5-2 that can turn into a 5-3-2. That would kind of take Jurgen Dom out of the equation, I would think. Um, could he play as a wing back? Sure. We saw Justin Merrim play as a wing back. But coming back from injury, I'd probably want him higher up the field and stay higher up the field. I think it takes Machop Chol out of conversation because I don't want to trust him to have to play as a wing back and cover the whole wing and defend a good bit. Um, so then I think you're looking at Lennon, Mulraney, Ambrose, Hernandez as your wingback options and the center backs we've talked about. So, you know, could you do that, start Sosa as a center back, play another central midfielder? Yeah, but you don't really have any right now. <laughs> so it, it could, a 3-5-2 to force that in could be a little more limiting in a lot of ways. Just to get Conway and Joseph on the field together, it could be more limiting. I think you might try to get more creative in how that looks and it might be a little bit even closer to what we saw at times with the three four two one where you're playing 
underneath a striker, let's say Conway is that, Joseph could play underneath him where he's close to him, but almost more of a midfielder, connected a little bit more. I could see something like that happening where if you wanted to pair up and, hey, look, we, we almost, I don't know what the abbreviation would be, we almost had PB and J for a period of time. <laughs> you know, if you go Jackson Conway. J and J. Joseph Martinez, and then you're pairing up either Moreno or Barco in that other central role. Hey, that I'm, could get pretty interesting. Have a glass of J and B. There you go. Um, yeah, no, it could be. And, and I think Tom and Bruno have both kind of hit on it, and I don't disagree with this at all. A lot of people believe when you're struggling to score, putting a second striker yeah. into the lineup would automatically fix that problem. Obviously, it doesn't work out. It doesn't always work that way. The one thing about Conway that would give you something different, and different than Joseph and different than Kubo and different than anybody else you can throw up top, is size. He gives you size. He gives you the ability to go back to goal. You can play out of the back quick. You can go direct to him. He can hold up the ball and bring others into the play. He's talked about that with us where he says that you know he knows that's what he can do differently. That's what can make him stand out from Joseph. You know, he doesn't have the experience and the number of goals that Joseph does, but he's bigger, and, and he can be that guy to take some of the heat off. Could Joseph play in a deeper position? He has the ability to. Yeah. He has the technical ability to, absolutely. Now, CK says this isn't why he asked, by the way. Right, right. Uh, he thinks Joseph is a pretty unique player that could mm-hmm. play well in the midfield, which would allow him to sit back between Jackson and oncoming midfielders and then follow the play into the box and poach, mm-hmm. which he's really good at. In other words, a high midfielder that could supplement the midfield. More of a second striker is, I think, the way you're talking about it, CK. That's how I'd term it, and that's how I thought, going back to that 3-4-2-1 that idea, that's kind of how it worked, was you had one with two behind. You could go two with one behind. You could go one with two behind. I think Joseph can fit in either one. The, the question would be the chemistry with him and Conway. Could they learn to play off of one another where Conway is the high focal point and Joseph is a little bit deeper off of him? Could that free Joseph up? Potentially. But you have to work through it on the training pitch and see how it comes together. Could you maybe do this with Kubo and Joseph? Because Kubo's pretty good in hold-up play, too. I mean, could Kubo assume that role that CK is talking about, play more in the midfield and, and follow Joseph? I don't think Kubo – well, no, the, the hold-up guy would be the higher one. So Joseph would right. play deeper. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't think Kubo is as good at hold-up play as Jackson is. Okay. I think there's a, a size difference. I think there's a little bit of a touch difference as well. I think Jackson has a, a little bit better touch in those situations. So Kubo and Joseph, to me, would be too similar to pair up. Conway gives you something very different. And Conway can drift, too. I mean, I, I remember times that Stephen Glass used him as a winger, which was really interesting because he still functioned as a target forward, but he was in a wide position. So when you played direct out of the back, you didn't play centrally. You played it direct to Conway, and then people revolved off of him. So that could be a possibility if you really want to get creative is to play Joseph or Conway wide in a 4-3-3 not maybe not as wide as we saw under Heinze but wider and in coming inside to go to goal all right before we go Christopher has asked a couple times I don't want to ignore Christopher did you read the Jeff Reuter article about USL yeah I I, I didn't get to read it in super detail Uh, I actually read it on the uh, Cincinnati streetcar Um, (laughs) which is great by the way yeah it was awesome. awesome very very cool yeah um 
Atlanta United 2 would stay in USL Championship for one more year, as would three other MLS teams. Um, everybody else would go into the new MLS League, and Atlanta United 2 would eventually go into that. Um, the League 1 teams that are MLS-affiliated would go automatically away. So USL is talking about being more independent. That's been a progression for them. I think people, when the MLS news came out that they were going to do their own Division Three professional league as a reserve league or a U23 league or somewhere in between, people were like, oh, what's this going to do to USL? It's going to hurt it. I think they embraced it. I think they're happy about it. And this frees them up to look at some of the things that, that Jeff Reuter talked about in the article. They could go to a different calendar if they want. They could have a, a winter break and go to a season starting in August and ending in May type of situation they could if they wanted to go to like an apertura clausura kind of schedule mm-hmm. um they can introduce promotion relegation that would have been a little trickier with the two teams because they probably would have been relegated because they're trying to develop players as opposed to win games if you take that out of the equation okay like i would ask then if i paid 10 million dollars to come into usl championship when somebody paid $1 million to come into USL League One, the numbers aren't those exactly, but ballpark. I'd be a little mad if I lost my spot. Yeah. And that's something that I have to work out. I, I think the other thing, too, about ProRel is how's USL going to benefit from ProRel? Like, they, they don't have the TV money that MLS is getting. Do they feel like ProRel would get them – a better media deal. It would like, be for, for competitive reasons. It, it would yeah. just be purely competitive, which in a league where the, the, the TV money doesn't really make a difference, in a league where you're trying to stand out in this country, I don't hate the idea. And my, no, I, I don't either. My yeah. issue with ProRel in this country from MLS out of MLS is because of the business structure of MLS. That's always going to be the tough aspect to do with. But if everybody's in USL, and they're all pushing in the same direction, and they are sharing revenue and resources in certain ways, then moving from second division where a budget, I think now like your better teams in the second division that are independently are, are pushing around $10 million a year as a budget, um, that's gone up dramatically over the years. I mean, I, I can tell you because I think the statute of limitations is gone. Uh, the Atlanta Silverbacks in 2015 – not that long ago, in the NASL, which was second division at the time, the league owned the team, and the other teams in the league paid $250,000 each into a pool for the Silverbacks to operate on. So I think they ended up having about $3.54 million to work with that year. And that was on the low end. You had teams that were more in the 7s and 8s at that point. Now, I think to be competitive, you're in the 10s. League one, very different type of budgets. You're, you're talking one, two, maybe three million for a really well-run League one team. But if you talk about a budget for an MLS team, even at the bottom, you're, you're in the, the 20s to 30s, easy. And you get into like an Atlanta or LAFC, a budget like that, you're in the 70s to 80s. And that difference is hard to overcome. You know, in England, they do it with parachute payments from TV money. They carve out money to do the parachute payments when you get relegated to try to help mitigate the, the gap between the two leagues. Here, you don't have that. So if you did it, it just it doesn't work. USL, it can work, though. Because if you're going from, let's say, a $2.5 million budget and you move up, and to be competitive, you need to spend 10 well, that's a lot. you got to go find more money. But can you grind it out and stay up and make it work and grow? Yes. And if you get relegated and you're spending $10 million a year, 
you go down. You're not completely like a big fish in a small pond. You should win and go back up, but it's manageable. You know, if you go down and you're play, if you're let's say Charlotte in USL Championship and you get relegated and you're playing Greenville and and Statesboro and and Chattanooga, well, that's not brutal. That's not crazy. You know, it's doable. Yeah, and with the calendar, I'm wondering like for teams like Pittsburgh, Hartford, um, Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. Boy, be careful. You'd have uh, to stop at the beginning of December and come back in mid-February. Mid to late earliest. February. And yeah, then still I, probably be creative with your schedule. Yeah. I, I like the Apertura Clausura idea. Where yeah, then you can I have actually a like that champions too. at the end of the year. I think that could be a lot I, of fun. I, I would do that if I was USL. Yeah. Some minor league baseball leagues did that back Absolutely. in the day. Yeah, yeah. But they did a split season. It's worked in Mexico. It, yeah. it can absolutely work in USL. I, that's the route I would go. Rather than the, the fall to, to spring calendar, I'd go Apertura, Clausura if I was USL. Well, Combine them for pro rail purposes. And, and but. It, right, and it makes the um, it makes that winter break a little more tidy. Mm-hmm. You, you know, yep. like if you take an eight week break between seasons, it's not as disruptive competitively as say it would be if you're playing one full season. Hundred percent. Good reporting by Jeff Reuter at yeah, the Athletic. If, uh, if you get a chance to read it today, it sounds like. There was actually a little bit of surprise at the USL meetings today in San Antonio when some of this came out. All right. Uh, Jason and I will be on 7.30 for the Five Stripes Countdown. We're headed over there to TQL Stadium in just a little bit. We drove by it on our way to lunch. looks awesome. looked really cool looks from the really outside. looks really cool. So uh, really uh, excited to check it out from the inside. We'll be on at 7.30. Kickoff 8.08 tonight. It's on FS1, but it's not what Fox usually does with the delayed kickoff. They're going to go right to it at 8.08. We will have a brief full-time report after the match tonight as well. And we will have another edition of Stoppage Time next Wednesday back in Atlanta, 2 p.m. here on the 92.9 The Game Facebook page. Had great numbers today. Thank you very much for watching. We appreciate it. We uh, hope you'll enjoy the match tonight. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I have a good feeling about this one tonight. I really do. I've had incorrectly positive feelings for a lot of these matches lately. It, I don't know. This one feels different. Feels like uh, things are a lot more laid back today. We'll just leave it at that. So, yeah, looking uh, forward to the Sosa and Sadich midfield. Me too. I like that. Yeah, yeah. We'll try to come up with a crafty nickname between <laughs> now and then. See you on the air tonight at 7.30. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.